Amen. So we are journeying through a series called Rest Rhythms and Reset. Has this been blessing anyone in the room? Uh, we've been diving into four key spiritual practices. Uh, we've been doing this because our desire is for real transformation. Do you know that transformation is actually possible? I heard someone say uh, one time that if we have to wait till we die to be free, then death is our savior, not Jesus. And this is the invitation of following Jesus is actual freedom, right? He came to give life and what? Life abundantly. And say, hey, I'm gonna give you a really horrible life on earth. And when you go to heaven, then you can start living. That's not the gospel. And if you believe that, you don't understand the gospel. And so we've been journeying through this, that our heart, obviously, as you guys saw, we're very spirit-filled and very wild and charismatic. Uh, but we also want to see really healthy people. And we believe both is attainable. I think oftentimes we sacrifice one for the other. We sacrifice being really healthy for being really passionate. Or we sacrifice being passionate for trying to be really healthy. Uh, but both is found in the life of Jesus and both is invited to all of us. And so we've been walking through this as a church. If you haven't been doing this, we are implementing all these practices every week. So we're practicing community uh, more than once a week. Uh, we're practicing Sabbath once a week. We're practicing fasting once a week and we're practicing prayer daily. Who's been doing it? Yes, 5% of our church. All right, we'll get there. I really encourage you guys to scan this code. We have a guide to help you walk through this. I really believe that walking in these disciplines, them in themselves have no power to change your life. But what they do is they get you in the soil to be positioned in a place where the Lord can actually do real work. Amen. All right, so we're gonna talk about community today. You guys excited? Uh, I know a lot of us have probably heard a sermon on community and uh, my heart is to not just give you a watered-down message on community. So I'm going to give you a heavy message on community. All right. So let's start here. Uh, for us to truly understand community, we have to trace its origins. Community finds its origins in God himself. Right? We see Father, Son, and Spirit. God is triune, each part distinct from one another, but all parts equally God. That God's nature and being is community within himself. This is the image that we're made out of. Have you guys ever wondered what God was doing before he created the universe? Through a fun philosophical question. Just think about it. Have you ever wondered, man, what was God doing before creation? God existed before there's grass and time. Time didn't exist. Night and day, that wasn't a thing. God was living in eternity. And what was God doing? Has anyone thought this question? Maybe just me. Okay. Jesus actually tells us what God was doing. You guys ready for this? All right. Let's go to John 17, verse 24. What was God doing before creating the world? This is a very important question. Jesus says this. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me. Watch. Because you loved me before the creation of the world. 
<laughs> this is what God was doing for eternity. The Father was loving the Son by the Spirit. Oh, guys, you got to let that sink in. I can feel it. It's like right here. Let's let it sink in. What was God doing for all of eternity? Father was loving the Son by the Spirit. Michael Reeves, he says this quote, he says, it is all deeply personal. The Spirit stirs up the delight of the Father in the Son and the delight of the Son in the Father inflaming their love and so binding them together. This reveals the nature of God. Before we knew that God has the ability to create, we knew that God was a communal, loving, relational being. This reveals the nature of God. And everything he does is now an overflow of that nature. This is why you were created. All right. I want to read this excerpt from a book. If you want to understand the Trinity, there's a book called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. It's an amazing book. Uh, favorite book I've read this year. I want to read a, an excerpt from this. It says this, in the 1150s, a man named Richard of St. Victor dedicated himself to con contemplating God and was soon known as one of the most influential authors of his day. Richard argued that if God were just one person, he could not be intrinsically loving. Since for all eternity before creation, he would have had nobody to love. If there were only two persons, God might be loving, but in an excluding way. After all, when two persons love each other, they can be so infatuated with each other that they simply ignore everyone else. And a God like that would be very far from good news. But when the love between two persons is happy, healthy, and secure, they rejoice to share it. Just so it is with God, said Richard, being perfectly loving from all eternity, the Father and the Son have delighted to share their love and joy with and through the Spirit. It is not that God then becomes sharing, but being triune, God is a sharing God, a God who loves to include. Indeed, that is why God will go on to create. His love is not for keeping, but for spreading. His love is not for keeping, but for spreading. So what was God doing before creating the universe? He was loving in community. And God so loved his son that he says, this is so good to keep to myself. <laughs> so I'm gonna share it so other people can enjoy this community of love. Sheesh. All right. Genesis 1, 26. Let's go there. It says this. Then God said, let us, say us, make mankind in our, say our, our. image. There you go. Right. He's triune. Let us make mankind in our 
image in our likeness. So we are made in this image to be like God who in his essence, listen, is a personal, loving, intimate, communal person. You guys tracking? God created because he wanted the enjoyment of knowing and being known and the connection he had with the son and the spirit to be shared with humanity. Jesus backs this, backs this up in John 17, 26. It says, I have made you known to them, speaking, Jesus speaking to the Father, and will continue to make you known, listen, in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself, speaking the Spirit, may be in them. Think about that. All of the, the lies and the distortion of God's nature is killed when you actually understand this. This is why God is infinitely good. Jesus said, I will make the Father known in order that the love that we share may be in them. So going back to Genesis, the triune God said, let us make man in our image. It's actually understood in psychology that human beings are the least likely species to survive independently. I think that's kind of funny. We are literally created to be relationally dependent. You guys ever seen like a video of like a horse being birthed? Maybe not, that sounds weird. Maybe I just went to public school. I don't know. Uh, but when a, a lot of animals are birthed, they literally start walking. Whereas humans, I mean, you know, I'm about to have my second. It took like over a year, right? For over 12 months as a human being, you still need to be fed by someone else. Human beings are the least likely species to survive independently. Why? Because of how God designed you to be in his image. However, we are the most likely species to thrive interdependently. That we actually thrive the most in the context of community. And why, you might ask, it's because human beings are created from connection and thus are created for connection. It's what you're made for. So in Genesis 2, 18, let's go there. It says this, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. This is so interesting. Does anyone find this interesting? I find this really interesting. God is walking with Adam. Sin has entered the picture. There's no brokenness. There's no distortion. Perfect God with perfect provision. Human Adam is there and God looks at him and says, you're alone. I find that interesting. 
But even before sin entered the picture, God looked at an individual, just one human being existed at this time. He said, it's not good for you to be alone. I shared this story before. I used to have this, this thought when I was in my charismaniac phase and um, st- still am, but I was in this place where I was just like so on fire for Jesus and passionate and zealous. I've shared this story before, but I, I told the Lord once, I said, God, I'm so in love with you that I'll be so satisfied to just live in a cave for the rest of my life and just sit with you. And on paper, that sounds like, man, you're really spiritual. That's awesome. And the Lord straight up rebuked me. He said, Andrew, I didn't create you to live that way. And so God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he made woman. I want to tell you guys this, that you will never become too spiritual to the point that you don't need community anymore. Some of y'all need to hear that. You will never get too spiritual to the point that you don't need community. That is one of the dumbest belief systems I've ever heard. All right, let's keep going. Genesis 2.25, a few verses later. It says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That this was obviously about their physical state. But listen, this is also about the condition of their souls. The husband and wife, man and woman, fully exposed, nothing is hidden, seen and known, transparent and vulnerable. This is how we're designed to live in relationship with one another. This is it. This was God's design. Who knows that God is a perfect designer? This was the way that he knit us, is that we are created to live in the context of relationship and connection and community. But not just that. You're meant to live in a place where there is no shame and there's no hiding. As you guys know the story, the first effect of the fall was the distortion of relationships, right? The very thing that God gave as a gift then became the thing that caused pain and separation. I want you to hear this, that sin distorts design. That's what it does. Sin distorts design. This is why we don't mess with sin. This is why we don't, you know, maybe I'll like half sin and half not sin. Maybe I'm over the line, but it's not, not too far. Don't mess with it. Right? I, I keep hearing this phrase that I love, right? No mixture. That there's been so much mixture in the church where we've compromised on so many things that are very clearly God's design. Sin distorts design. And so we see that they were originally naked and felt no shame, but because of sin, they then became hidden in the shame. This now became humanity's default, was to hide and to feel shame. This is the fracture that entered God's creation, that the image that God created us in to reflect is now shattered. 
This is why when we get hurt in the context of community, it's so painful because it's what we're created for. This is why the very thing that happens when you struggle, the first thing the enemy does, and this is textbook, isolate. Oh, they just messed up. You know, no one's going to want to see the real you. Go into hiding. Hide yourself. Hey, you didn't like that your pastor confronted your sin. Go leave that church. And I'm not discounting. There's very real horrible things that happen in community that are not the Lord. But for a lot of us, we know that the first thing the enemy will do is he'll isolate. Why? Because he distorts design. And if he can isolate you, oh man, you're in his territory. It's his playground. He can do what he wants. This is why community is so crucial, guys. This is why it's so important. This isn't just like this fun Christian kumbaya thing, you know, that community churches and suburban areas came up with. This is design. And so now this image is, is distorted, it's shattered. Our default now is to hide, to retreat, to put on face, to pull away. And so if we're made for community, the enemy will do everything to get you out of it. They'll isolate you or distort what real community is supposed to look like. This is what Jesus came to restore. To bring us back into right relationship with God himself, restoring our original image. And just like him, to share and spread that reconciliation to the rest of the world. Amen? Let's go to Acts 2. You guys alive? It's kind of gloomy in here. Maybe it's just the weather. You guys alive? I see some smiles in the room. Some pearly whites. All right, there we go. Acts 2, let's go there. Acts 2, 42 to 47, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. <coughs> Excuse me. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It's beautiful. Imagine that. God's design for community is so radical. Like, think about that. It isn't just like we just look like the world that just has cliques. We just do our own thing and we just hang around because we all dress the same. It's actually so much more radical and actually looks nothing like the world. It says, hey, I'm going to sell my house because you need money. Think about that. 
So they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So significant. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. All right, so in Acts 2, earlier in this chapter, we see that the Spirit came in Pentecost and people were filled. That Peter then preached, think about this, and 3,000 people were saved. Peter preached, 3,000 people were saved. But what's powerful is that the real revival wasn't the altar call, but it's what happened next in these following verses. This is the fruit of revival. If you want to know what does the outpouring of the Spirit looks like, it looks like what you're sitting in. It's this. This is what he came to restore. This was the very thing that got distorted. So this is the fruit of the outpouring of the Spirit. It was the reversal of the fall, the renewal of man's image and the restoration of community. I say this all the time that the church was born into a covenant. We are saved into a family. You're born into a covenant. You're saved into a family. So here, guys, we see that the early church was marked by consistent fellowship, by prayer, by eating together, by unity, by generosity, by worship, and by a unified purpose. This is the DNA of biblical community. And I want you to ask yourself, does your current community look like that? Does your current community look like that? Are the people that you spend the most time with look like that? Physiology says that you are most like the top five people you spend time with. You are like the top five people you spend time with. So show me who you spend time with and I'll show you what your future is going to look like. Does it mean that you can't have unbelievers as friends or people who are struggling? But the people that you invite into your life and you do life with, to walk in biblical community actually has to look like this. Man, y'all thought you were getting like a fun message on community. All right. So I want to talk about three things about community and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. The first thing, you guys ready? Community is not optional. Say that. Community is not optional. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That the Greek term here used for neglect means to abandon. Do not abandon meeting together. That as Christians, we have an obligation to fellowship with one another. I heard this quote that said, parents who treat the church as optional should not be surprised when their children end up treating Jesus as unnecessary. 
Parents who treat the church as optional should not be surprised when their children end up treating Jesus as a necessary. I heard this phrase this week that what, as leaders, what you do in moderation, people will do in excess. That's the power of influence. As parents, what you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess. So again, isolation is not God's design for his people. Isolation is actually a slow death. And we have to understand the value, the importance, and the significance of gathering together as the body of Christ, even when you don't feel like it. Even when you don't feel like it, even when it's storming outside. Guys, oh, what grinds my gears the most, can I rant? I'm human. What grinds my gears the most is when people don't come to church because it's raining outside. I'm like, what? And you know you've done it. I've done it. It's like, ah, it's like a little too wet. I don't want to walk to my car. So I'll catch it on the live stream, right? Guys, community is not optional. Think about this morning. And I want you to hear this. This isn't just like you have to come to a Sunday service, but it's important. The gathering of the saints is important. Leadership and structure in church is actually very biblical, just so you know. But it's not optional. And we have to take our like Western eyes off of what church is. Because we've grown up with like the smoke machines and like the laser lights and LED walls. It's nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with that. What happens is we've made church into this like, oh, it's just like an event that I go to every Sunday to like get a good message, sing a little bit, feel a little bit of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to go home and do my thing. Think about this. I heard someone say, don't let go in freedom what other people hold on to in persecution. People are literally dying just to be able to get into the room to gather five people hidden in the basement with no AC and no windows, worshiping because this is our design because we can't do it without each other, right? Iron sharpens iron. And we're like, oh, it's raining today. It's too inconvenient for me. We have to have a mind shift on what church actually is. Think about this morning, guys, how powerful that was. You don't want to miss moments like that. I'm serious. And it's not about a moment or trying to like get a cool experience to add to your list of things. But there's something that happens in a room when faith, faith is corporately stirred that God shows up. Think about this. The paralyzed man got healed because his friends carried him to Jesus. If it wasn't for corporate faith, he would have never been healed. Do not neglect community. It's not optional. Second thing is community is where we mature, right? So this is, again, going back to the thing of 
You'll never get too spiritual to not need community. Ephesians 4, 16, it says this, that he makes, Jesus, the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I love that. You know what that means? There's no bystanders in the kingdom. No one's on the bench. Everyone's on the field. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a gift, talent, an ability to step in to, again, design and to see the whole body be healthy. Why do we see so many unhealthy churches? This. We like to blame the pastor, which sometimes, a lot of times, it is the pastor. But we see churches and like, ah, that's unhealthy. But are people serving? Probably not. So community is where we mature. The closest word in the New Testament for community is the word koinonia. You guys say that? Koinonia. Look at that. Greek scholars. Koinonia, which commonly is known to mean fellowship, can mean so much more. It can also mean communion, contribution, and participation. It doesn't say, it doesn't mean just get whatever you want to get and go. It's communion, contribution, and participation. Say this a lot, that community, community is not a buffet, it's a potluck. So how we treat church, man, I'm just getting my green beans, get my mashed potatoes, right? Keep going to Golden Corral for whatever reason. It's like, it's so gross. Still like hibachi or something, right? You get your like egg rolls. But we treat church this way where we're just like, I'm just gonna come, get what I want. I'm gonna get just, you know, a little bit of like Holy Spirit. I'm gonna come and just like get a, like a little bit of like a really good word. I'm gonna come and like get really good like friendships. But that's the extent. That's not design. That's actually the opposite. Church is meant to be like a potluck where everyone brings their best to the table. And when you see, we're not seeing things that are mass produced and nasty. We're seeing everyone bring their best. We're all able to feast together. That's what community is designed to look like. That a community isn't just a place for your preferences to be met. It's where you come to bring your gift to benefit the whole body. What if the question we asked ourselves when we come to a church isn't, man, what can I get out of this? But what can I give to this place? What do I have that I can sow into this soil to see this become even more healthy and beautiful? What if we ask those questions? That we know that God does not bypass maturity. That you can be prayed over and receive gifting, you can get prayed over and receive anointing, but you can't be prayed over and receive maturity. God, I just want to be more mature, more disciplined. It's like, 
Someone pray over me to be more disciplined. I was like, pick up your cross, buddy. God does not bypass maturity. And maturity grows in the soil of community, guys. That Jesus individually discipled the 12, but he also discipled them in community with one another. Part of his discipleship was for them to learn how to koinonia. Might have heard this quote, but if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. That's it. That you can only grow so much by yourself. That the story of, of, of Lyle, how we became in a relationship was, you know, I, I looked up to him for a long time and uh, really impacted my life from afar. And I reached a point in my life as a pastor where I was like, man, I, I can't like go any further than I am. Like I, I need a pastor to pastor me. That's literally what I said. I need someone to pastor me because I can only go like, I can be in the prayer room every day for 10 hours and that's great. But there is a key thing missing in my discipleship process with Jesus which is community and mentorship and discipleship from someone else. And so we had a, a casual relationship, but we had a moment where I was at one of their conferences and I just went up to him and I was like, I had a counter with the Lord when I was sitting in the, the chairs. I saw him and I was like, I need to ask this guy to be my mentor. So I just went up to him and I was like, hey, this is super weird. I know we don't know each other super well, but the Lord has this, this call in my life and I can't go any further without, without you. I sure have asked him, and he said yes. You have not because you ask not, right? So community is where we mature. All right, before we end on the last one, to give you guys a little bit of break, here's a couple tips on being in community. You guys ready for this? A couple tips. Seek spiritual mothers, fathers, mentors, or those ahead of you to pour into your life. Community isn't just your, your homeboys and your homegirls right? Seek spiritual mothers, mentors, those ahead of you to pour into your life. And the flip side is, if that's you, seek people that you can also pour into and disciple. Live with an open heart. True community cannot exist without vulnerability. Practice radical generosity. Serve your friends and those in need. Use your gifts to edify and build up those around you. This one's for free. Listen more than you speak. The last thing is get plugged into a consistent gathering of believers, whether that's Sunday mornings, a serve team, a home group, whether it's a community group that you're a part of outside of Breakthrough, get plugged into a consistent gathering of believers. All right, guys, ready for the last one? Number three, community is where we heal. Community is where we heal. This is a good one. James 5.16 says this. Sorry, I'm a little snotty. James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. 
The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. <laughs> Some of us are like, Jesus, just heal me. He's like, I'm not going to bypass discipleship. Jesus, just, just fix my like bad thought pattern. Jesus is like, hey, you know you have like 10 people around you that have overcome what, you've over, what you're struggling with. I place them in your life to set you free. And so when God asked this question, oh, this is so good. In the garden, when Adam and Eve hid, you guys remember the story? Wave your hand if you remember the story. When Adam and Eve hid, God asked a question. God looked at Adam and he asked a question. Do you guys remember the question? He said, where are you? He's God. A couple leaves ain't that strong to hide from God. But he still asked this question because it's deeper than just the natural. It says, Adam, where are you? And this question, a lot of people actually believe, this question was seen as an invitation to confession. Did you hear this? It's important. This question is an invitation to confession. The question of where are you at? Look at it in your neighbor and say, where are you at? Where are you actually at? And confession, listen, is the response to the invitation of the question of where are you actually at? Where are you at? Where is the condition of your soul actually at? You're hiding. Where are you at? You're saying it's okay on the outside, but I can see in your eyes that you're wrestling. Where are you at? Confession is the response to that invitation of where you're actually at. Amen. It's important to know that sin, can I walk sin for a second? Sin is not an accusation or a condemnation. It's simply a diagnosis. When we identify sin in our lives, we're identifying sin in other people's lives. The posture is not an accu, it should not be an accusation or condemnation, it's simply a diagnosis. What it is, is it's naming the disease that gets in the way of doing what you're made to do. Think about this, if you're sick and you don't know what you're sick with, well, it's really hard to get medicine, right? Do you know what's going on? And so sin is simply diagnosing the disease that gets in the way from you being free and healthy and living according to your design. Guys, God can't heal what we keep hidden. I want you to stay with me. This is, this is so important. God can't heal what you keep hidden. It's not that it's impossible for him, but it shows that we're actually not willing to be free. And God does not force freedom. He gives it. 
This is where community comes in. We confess our sins to God and we're saved, right? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. When you confess to God, we're saved, but it's in the place of community that we confess our sins and we're healed. You guys got that? That community is the place where we allow our souls to be naked and unashamed. Because guys, the truth is God knows every hidden part of your heart. God knows everything. He knows every malicious thought. He knows everything you're struggling with. He knows everything you're hiding. He knows everything that you did yesterday. He knows everything you're gonna do tomorrow. He knows everything. But when we confess to one another, it opens us up to say what has been hidden, what the enemy has built a strong tower, a stronghold in. Remember, isolation is breeding grounds for the enemy, right? When we come out of isolation, what has been built for years, right? That sin pattern, what has been built for years, when we open ourselves up to one another, say, this is where I'm actually at, light can come in. When we say, this is where I am actually at, God can come in. But I think for a lot of people, the last layer for bondage still being in your life is confession. Because God cannot heal what you keep hidden because what you keep hidden, the enemy keeps holding onto. Oh, I'm preaching. I'm gonna share this story just as we close up. I had a friend and... Um, was at a church where the associate pastor was mentored by the same guy that he was mentored by, just tracking. So his mentor, the person that discipled him, also discipled this associate pastor. And the story goes that this associate pastor who was best friends with the lead pastor of this church, they end up finding out after a couple of years that he was embezzling money the whole time. Lee Pastor was his best friend. He had kids and a family. But he secretly, right, he was the one that signed the checks. He's the one that cashed everything. He secretly would take a little bit for himself every time. No one knew. His wife didn't know. And the church kept warning, why are we struggling financially? And he knew. He kept doing it. And they ended up, after a couple years, finally finding out what he was doing. And obviously it, Shattered the church, destroyed the church. So many people left. Church almost collapsed. And think about it. You're giving your money for years. And you find out one of your pastors has been stealing it this whole time. It's thousands and thousands of dollars. And my friend who mentored this guy said to him, this is what happens when you lie in discipleship. This is what happens. This is what happens when you lie in discipleship because what you keep hidden, you empower. You give permission to grow. But when you're real with the Lord and you're real with each other, with those that you trust, right, there's a caveat, don't just go tell everybody what's going on. People that you trust, 
people that you know can walk you through, people that have overcome what you're walking through, people that have authority in your life, when you reveal to them what's going on, then the Lord can start to heal. And so what caused Eve to eat of the fruit, ultimately ushering in sin, was the lie that she can't trust God in others. That's it. That she can't trust God in others. And that is the same lie that keeps us from the fullness of community today. And I know a lot of people have been hurt in the place of community. And a lot of it is valid. But this is what you're designed for. And it's in the place of community that you'll actually find the healing that you've been waiting for. That's in this place of vulnerability that we can declare our trust again. That we can say, God, I trust you. God, I can trust where you've placed me. I can trust your design that what I'm struggling with can only come out in the context of community. Amen? All right. You guys good? You guys full? All right. Chewing. Sharon's still chewing. It's a big piece of steak, right? No, no milk. All right, let's stand up. So guys, as a church, we're implementing all of these spiritual practices in our life. So if you're walking with us, right, we encourage you to implement at least once a week meeting with community. At least once a week. Sundays don't count. <laughs> I'm serious. No cheat codes. Sundays don't count. So what that looks like is going to someone that you want to mentor you or going to someone that you want to do life with or going to someone that Maybe you want a disciple and invite them into your lives. Or maybe it's just casual and there's someone in the room, you're like, man, I really want to, just really want to be in a relationship. Or maybe it's someone that you already are in a relationship, but that you don't maybe see as much. Or maybe you're, quote, too busy and you're not able to prioritize those times. Implement rhythms of community in your life is so important because it takes us out of the enemy's territory of isolation. Amen? All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you.